Um, I want to say thanks to Josh Pantana for filling in. If you guys are new to Midtown or Midtown West, uh, Josh was the worship leader at uh, 12 South for uh, a while. I mean, really the best years of 12 South. Um, <laughs> but uh, really glad you're here, man. Thank you. Um, I'm Matt, one of the pastors here uh, Midtown West, and thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, we are getting back into our series of Genesis, the first 12 chapters of Genesis. I'm kind of referring to this series as origins. This is like the beginning of everything, uh, the beginning of creation, the beginning of time and space, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of evil, the beginning of all of these things. And so now this morning, we're going to read in just a minute uh, the first part of chapter four of Genesis. And uh, what we, I want to take us back because we took a couple weeks off to, to do uh, uh, Easter and uh, Palm Sunday. But when we were in Genesis three, uh, we were introduced to the enemy of God, Satan, who uh, has been allowed to work in the world. And uh, we saw him coming to God's people, to, to Adam and Eve, and to lying to them about who God is and opposing everything that God is about, which if we want to sum it up, maybe the, the thing that God is about most is his uh, intimacy with his people and the flourishing of his creation and the flourishing of, of all of it, of, of the natural world and of his people and his people working alongside him to bring flourishing. And so what we saw was as the enemy tempted them and they, they sinned, uh, God is talking to them after their sin, and when he is talking, he then turns and talks to the serpent, and he says, you are cursed. And then he reveals something that is going to play out through the rest of Scripture and through the rest of human history, which is really, spiritually speaking, there are only two families in the whole world. There are, as he calls in, in chapter 3 when he's talking to the serpent, there are the seed of the serpent, the offspring of the serpent, the sons and daughters of the serpent, who are, are under the power of the evil one and opposed to God. And there are those who are God's people, that he has uh, the redemption through Jesus throughout all, all time has worked in, in our lives and we have come to know him. Romans 5.12 says this, sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so part of what Paul's saying here in this passage from Romans is that when Adam and Eve sinned, there is a, a uh, the word I'm looking for, like organic uh, hereditary piece of sin that gets in our bodies and is, is a part of us. And we are born into sin uh, because of the sin of our foreparents. And so now uh, we all have this, the voice of the enemy that was speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden. Now we have that internal and that's called our flesh. And so now because we are in sin, we all have to deal with what the Bible talks about as this body of flesh. There's still this part of us, even those of us that are in Christ, that are renewed, we are still living in this body of flesh. There's something in us that is opposing God and opposing his will in our lives. And so uh, this passage that we're getting into, and whoever's reading our scripture can kind of Slow walk it up here. There we go. I like that, Ben. Just sit in the back so it's like a dramatic, like, everybody needs to see. <laughs> Guys, give it up for Ben Burnside. Um, you know, Paul talks about in Galatians 5, uh, he says, for the desires of the flesh 
are against the desires of the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And he tells God's people, he tells us, live, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So there's this war that's going on between the old man and the new man, as Scripture calls it. And so uh, Jesus also talks about this. He says, he refers to the sons and daughters of their father in heaven, and also the sons of the evil one. And so what we're doing today as we look at this story, that the story is probably familiar to a lot of you, the story of Cain and Abel. Um, what I really want us to focus on, what I believe the Lord is, is drawing our attention to today, is to be wise and to see the working of our flesh, because we all have to deal with this. We all, ha- we all live in these bodies of flesh, and then to see the gift and mercy of God through the gift of godly repentance, and how he uses that to interrupt this, this uh, feedback loop that our flesh begins to play. So, um, Ben, if you want to go ahead and read. Genesis 4, 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do what is well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do what is well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth, to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so, if anyone kills Cain, Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are, we are here this morning uh, desiring to hear from you, needing to hear from you. Lord, it is, is so easy as we go out and we live our lives and we experience all kinds of pain, all kinds of desires, all kinds of, of interactions to begin to actually paint you in our image and to think things about you that are not true, that would lead us away from you, that would cause us to take a step back relationally from you, to not trust you, to blame you for things, to put things on you that are, that are not true about who you are. 
And Lord, would you come in your mercy and your love and your power through your Holy Spirit to every single man and woman in this room? And would you uh, break down and melt away those lies and refresh us by giving us a, a truer, deeper picture of who you are so that we could run to you and have life? And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so, so in this passage, um, I was thinking about this this week, um, your science lesson for the week. Um, I, I, had, I injured my back, so I was doing CrossFit because I'm really ripped, and I uh, was doing so much weight. And uh, I tweaked my lower back, and I went to see my PT, and he was doing uh, dry needling. I don't know if y'all ever had that done. But... Um, as I was thinking about this passage, I'm like, you know, the way our flesh works in us and tells us lies, and we act on those lies, and we move down this road, it's this negative feedback loop. And what the Lord does when he comes into Cain's life here, as we'll see, he is interrupting that feedback loop. He is giving him the grace of infiltrating the, the speaking of the flesh and the thinking of the flesh and saying, hey, I'm asking you to consider that this may not be accurate. And it's the gift of this invitation to repentance, to turn back to him. And as I was thinking about that, I went to see the PT and got um, the dry needling done. He was telling me about what's actually happening. And he said, you know, when you have like muscular trauma and, and this stuff is, you know, um, this is what I'm about to say. He's the official uh, scientific no, it's not. Um, I forgot kind of what he said, but it's basically some of your muscles start to stop. They start to shut down to protect themselves to stop firing. And so when the, the needle, a lot of things can't go deep enough, but when the dry needles go down, uh, they hit those muscles and it interrupts the feedback loop so that they'll start to kick in and fire again and, and the body can start to heal itself. I was like, that's exactly what we're talking about this Sunday. Um, so what's going on here is Adam and Eve, uh, just to catch us up, they have sons. Uh, so the, the first man and woman, they have sons. Uh, they have Cain, the oldest, uh, who is a farmer, Abel, who is a shepherd. And we can use our redeemed imaginations to think about how God, you know, as he spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, imagine he was still speaking to his people to teach them how to live because they're having to know how to do all these things. They're having to know, like, we don't know how to take care of these animals. We don't know how to raise crops the best way possible, and we don't know how to live. And so God is continuing to have this relationship with his people. Obviously, he's still speaking with them. And so um, I have to imagine that when it comes to an offering, that there has been some conversation around this because God is not a man like us, that he needs food to live. And so uh, just the whole concept of presenting him with, uh, you know, the, the first fruits of your labor uh, is probably something that he introduced to them, not something that they came up with on their own. And so uh, what is an offering? Well, it's, it really hasn't changed over the years as we look at like ancient Israel and we also look at now and what is an offering for us, the people of God. It's, it's this expression of thanksgiving and love and recognition of God's lordship over us in, in a good way, in a, a healthy way, not an overbearing way or a domineering way, but as a loving father. We recognize that we belong to you, Lord, and you are not only our creator, but you're also our sustainer. When I draw my next breath, it's because you are putting air into my lungs. And not only that, you are my Lord. You're the one who is teaching me how to live. And not only that, you are my daddy. You are my father. You are the one who loves me. And so you've given me 
all of the abilities that I need to make money uh, in this world, to make a living, you've also given me the opportunities to make a living. And what I'm saying with my offering, as we try to say every week, is um, I'm giving this back to you, recognizing that it all comes from you. It's not like I, I went away from God and figured out you know, how to be um, an amazing business person, but it's that, no, the Lord created me. He gave me the gifts that he's given me to use those gifts to benefit uh, the world, but also to be a blessing to me, to give me an income, to allow me to take care of myself and if I have a family, but also uh, to take care of this community. Um, so that we, we have these resources. And so it's us acknowledging that, giving those back to him and saying, Lord, you're the giver of all good gifts. And so I'm giving this back to you to acknowledge that I'm not doing this in my own power. I'm doing this um, through you. And it's really your blessing and you're always the backstop. You're always the safety net. I have a loving father in heaven. So if everything goes south, if all of my circumstances change, if my abilities change, I don't have to worry because my life never depended on that in the first place. It always depends on you and your loving kindness to me. And so that is what an offering is. And so we read that these two brothers bring offerings to the Lord. And it's so easy to read this, again, because of our flesh. This is a great, <laughs> this is a great test to see if your flesh is like firing on all cylinders here. It's really easy to read this passage quickly and not pay attention to it and be like, man, God's so harsh and demanding. Like, he brought you an offering. What more do you want? I'm like, well, hold on. <laughs> like, that's uh, actually, we're not in a healthy place when we say that. Because what's happening here is we see, and, and as like scripture unfolds and the law of offerings becomes codified and written down and shared with the people of God, we see what's appropriate. And what's appropriate is to give God not only your first fruits, like the very first of your labors, uh, harvest, whether that's a harvest of you know, the firstborn animals or the first crops that come, but also when it comes to animals, the fattest portion, like the best parts of your first animals are supposed to go to the Lord. And so what we read here is that Abel does that. Abel is bringing the first and the best to the Lord, and that's appropriate because that's what an offering is. And we, we get to cheat a little bit because um, Cain and Abel are talked about in the New Testament, and we believe that Scripture interprets Scripture. So in Hebrews 11.4, it says that um, Abel was bringing this offering because he was living by faith. He was in a right relationship with God. He was recognizing God as the giver of all good gifts, as his loving father, and it was a delight to him to bring the first and the best to God. It was not a burden. And, and so he's bringing not only this offering, but what's behind the offering is what he's really bringing, which is his heart. Like he's bringing his love for God and saying like, man, you love me so much, and I love you back. And like, this is me, me telling you this. And Cain, it just, it doesn't say that he brings, it doesn't say anything negative about his offering, but it just makes the point by juxtaposing it with Abel's offering that what he brings is just meh, like just average. Like this week, uh, one of my sons, I won't reveal who, uh, is into Pokemon cards. And so he's like, loves looking at those with me. And he's like, dad, you want to look at the Pokemon cards? I'm like, yeah, I would love to. So we sit there and we look at, you know, Googly Jack and all the other guys and he says, uh, Dad, I really want to give you a Pokemon card. And I was like, man, that's so sweet, you know? And which, he's like, yeah, I just really want to give you one. And we go on a little bit. I'm like, well, I want you to have them, man. You know, like, I don't want to take them from you. And he was like, 
He was like, uh, no, dad, I really want you to have one. I'm like, wow, awesome. Well, yeah, just give me whichever one you want. He's like, I want you to have these two. And he like meticulously goes and picks them out and gives them to me. And I was like, this is so great. What, what made you want to give me these two? And he's like, well, dad, these are the ones that I'm sick of and I don't really <laughs> want anymore. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, wow, That's, I don't know how to repay you. Um, but this is what's going on here. It's like Cain, there's obviously something wrong. And if we, if we couldn't pick that up from just the offering, we'll, we'll get it here in just a second when we see his response to God. But uh, for Cain, this was not a joy. This was not an overflow. Of the, well, it was an overflow of the heart just in a different direction. But this is a burden. Like, man, like, I can't believe I'm the one out here doing the hard work and God is making me give him something. And it says that the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain's. And this term, have regard, means pay attention with interest. So basically it's saying God was really paying attention to Abel and what he was doing. And he really wasn't paying attention to Cain and what he was doing. And the reason he was paying attention to Abel and what he was doing was because there was something to pay attention to. You know, God doesn't need more vegetables. God doesn't need more money. God doesn't need more cows. Like the whole offering system is pointing forward to Jesus, but it's also this expression of our hearts. What he wants is our heart. And so when Abel brings his heart, God is able to interact with him as a father and a son. But when Cain brings his offering the way that he brings it, there is so much emotional distance there. There is no relationship there. And God's like, what what do I have to pay attention to? There's nothing here to regard. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And and Cain believes that God is going to get off his back if he delivers on this empty religious act. And God's like, man, you you don't know me. Like, you're believing lies about who I am. I don't need something from you. Like, you don't get it. I, I want you. I want you because I am your creator. I'm your father. And you're my son, and I want to have a relationship with you. And so we start to see the working of the flesh. So when, when it says that God did not have regard for Cain and his offering, we learn a lot more about Cain from his response to God here. He is irate. He is exceedingly angry at God. He is fiery angry, and it says his face fell, so he's also some, some kind of something in the ballpark of like shamed and discouraged. So he is angry, he's shamed, he's discouraged, and in his shame, in his anger, um, I can almost hear him yelling, like, what more do you want from me? You know, it makes me think of like the older brother in the parable of the, the prodigal son, Like, what do you want from me, man? Like, I'm giving you this offering that you asked for, that I worked my tail off for, and then now you're not even happy. What do you want? You know, it's like he does not know God at all, and he is refusing to come to him and be humble and learn from him. Why is this a burden? Something has gone wrong. There's this orphan mentality at work in Cain of you don't love me, I have to take care of myself. This is a burden. And that is the work of the flesh. 
That is what our flesh is always saying. Remember, the flesh is basically just a, a little sleeper cell of the enemy that's now inside of us because of sin. And that little voice is always, always saying the same thing that the enemy said to Adam and Eve in the garden. Like, really? Like, God is good? Look at what he's doing. Like, you think God really loves you? You think this is where life is? No, 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 life's out there. Like, you got to go, like, don't sit here and wait for life to pass you by. You got to go get it. Like, don't listen to God. You need to take care of yourself because obviously look at your circumstances. You cannot trust him to take care of you. That is always the voice of the flesh. And y'all, like, we've got to live in this reality and, and be wise to the war that we're in. That voice is dwelling in us. We will not be free of that voice until we leave this earth. But this is who God really is. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, overflowing in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is who God is. Not the picture that our flesh paints of God. So in his kindness, God revealing his character, in his kindness, he moves toward Cain. And he does so just like he does with Cain's mother and father when they sin. You remember in, in one chapter ago when, when Adam and Eve sin, what does God do? He doesn't blast them off the face of the earth. He comes quietly and humbly walking in the garden, and he asks a question. Hey, where are you? Like, where are you right now? Like, this is not over. You are still my son and my daughter. I'm not going anywhere. I'm coming to you in your sin, and I'm asking you this question. Where are you? Not because I need to know where you are, because I'm God and I know where you are, because you need to know where you are. Where are you right now? Who are you listening to? What are you believing is true about me? What are you believing is true about you? We need to interrupt this feedback loop and get you back to level. And that's what he does here with Cain. He says, why are you angry? Like You need to stop and ask yourself, why are you angry right now? Why has your face fallen? And what he's getting at is, He's disrupting this unhealthy feedback loop in Cain's mind that is growing and getting stronger and louder and shaping his reality and will ultimately bring destruction to him and to everyone around him because that's what the flesh does when it's left unchecked. So this question that God brings is a gift. It's the gift of invitation to repentance because what's happening now is because of sin, uh, Cain is angry at the two people that he doesn't need to be angry at, and he's not angry at the person he needs to be angry at. He is angry at God. I'm angry and I feel bad about myself because God is impossible to please and harsh. And I'm angry and I feel bad about myself because my brother is making me look bad. That should be familiar to us. It's so easy to get in that place. And what he's not saying and what God is lovingly trying to draw his attention to is you're feeling ashamed because you have chosen poorly. Because you have sinned. You have heard what I've said is good and you have gone the other direction. And so me asking you this question is not cutting you off. 
Me interrupting this cycle is giving you the gift of repentance to say, come back. Repentance is just turning, it's turning away from our sin and turning back to God. And say, man, I'm, yes, that's true. I confess that what I'm doing is wrong and I don't want to live like this. God, will you please help me? Like that is repentance. But Cain's in this place, Proverbs 19.3 describes, it says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. But after God even asks this question, it's immediately followed by a reminder of his love and mercy to Cain. Don't miss that. Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, which means if you do the right thing, if you just repent in this case, if you recognize your sin and come back, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Meaning, yes, of course you will. Like, God is not demanding perfection. God is saying, I am a God of steadfast love and abundant mercy and faithfulness and slow to anger if you will just acknowledge where you are. I know that you are dust. If you will just come and live in reality with me and engage with me, like, I will take care of the rest. This is our God who is so full of mercy, so full of compassion, so full of kindness. If you do well, Will you not be accepted? And in Hebrew, it's, will there not be a lifting up of your face? There's this beautiful passage in Psalm 3.3 that's brought me a lot of comfort over the years. But he will, it's, you know, he's the one that will lift our face. Psalm 3.3 says, you, O Lord, are the lifter of my head. Like a daddy pulling up the head of his son or daughter and saying, hey, look at me. I love you. It's okay. Like, we, we need to talk about whatever this is, but like, None of this is threatening our relationship with each other. God is giving the gift of repentance. It says in Scripture that God-given repentance leads to life. It leads to salvation without regret. It's a fruit of God's kindness to his people. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Why? For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father reproves a son or a daughter in whom he delights. He is sticking with you. He is leading you back to life because he loves you. He is not shaming you. And then God reminds Cain and us about the enemy that's now within the gates. Our flesh and how it works. And he says, if you, know, if you, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Remember, we live in these bodies of flesh. Sin is always, always right there. It is crouching at the door. Its desire is against you, but you must rule over it. You know, we, we look at the life of Jesus, and he's, he's tempted in the wilderness. And the Lord's really clear in Scripture, like, I will not let you endure any temptation that you cannot stand up underneath. Um, he's good. He is our loving Father. He's with us. Will we sin? Yes, we will sin because we are imperfect and we are little and frail and we live in these bodies of flesh. But he is with us and he has given us, just like we see Jesus in the wilderness when he's being tempted by the enemy for 40 days, um, he is combating him with the help of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word. 
He's saying, look, yeah, my feelings are all over the place. I feel this. I desire that. I'm in pain here. But like God's word is what is true. My feelings do this. His word is constant and unshakable. And I go back to the truth that is he loves me. He is with me. He will never leave me. He, he tells me the way that is good. He tells me the way that leads to life. And his spirit lives in us now and gives us the, the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to, to fight against these temptations, to fight against our flesh. But it's so tempting to do what Cain does here and not allow his voice in. It is so tempting to nurse that feedback loop, right? It is so tempting to say, I, I feel this hatred toward this person and I don't want to talk to anybody that's going to help me see that I have a part to play in this. I only want to talk to people that are going to say, yeah, 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 that person's terrible and you're awesome. Or like I have this desire that's contrary to what God says is good and brings life and I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody who's going to tell me that that's not good. I want to talk to people who encourage me. Yeah, man, like you got to do that. Because the Lord is coming in all these ways. He's coming just in those nudges through his spirit in us. He's coming through his word. And guess what? He's coming through you. He's coming through his people who are in each other's lives to say, hey, hey, like I think you're believing something that's not true right now. Like I've, if, it seems like you're going down a road that's not good. And when he does that, that is a mercy. That's not like us getting caught and having to go to the principal's office. That's God rescuing us from the the trickery and the temptation and the path of destruction that the enemy wants to set us on through the working of our flesh. It's not God, you know, and what we are tempted to do as we believe the lies of the enemy is we run away from God in those moments, the very moments that he's trying to pull us out of those thought patterns. Because why? We feel ashamed. We're like, there's no way that God could love me. There's no way that God could like, want to see me right now, so I'm just going to keep getting further and further away from him. And he's saying, like, you don't understand. <laughs> like, I've already gone to the deepest depths to cover the, the most heinous of all of your sin, past, present, and future. Like, there's nothing about you that I don't know. I'm coming now not to get you in trouble, but because I love you to rescue you and to pull you back into this reality where I am your loving father and your sin cannot separate you from me anymore because you are in Christ. And I love you and and I'm giving you this opportunity, this invitation to repentance where you can say, man, yeah, I have, yes, I've been living this way. I've been believing these things and they're wrong and and I I need your help to, (laughs) to be healthy, to believe what's right. But here, um, unlike those of us who are in Christ, um, Cain is a picture of someone who is uh, a seed of the serpent. He is someone who uh, is born of the enemy and not born of God in Christ. And so we see the pathway uh, as he continues to walk to a literal hell. Um, You know, when God, as his heart continues to harden, when God comes to Adam and Eve in love, what do they do? Do you remember when he says, where are you? What do they do? Somebody help me. Do they talk to him? Yeah, they do that. 
So it's like, this is a beautiful picture. They're still sinning. But what do they do? Do they respond to God? Yes. There is some engagement. There is some, like, I'm responding to you. I still have this healthy fear of you. I'm still walking with you, even though I am blaming and hiding and doing all this other stuff. Um, And that's us, y'all. Like, we do that. I do that. As I'm having these conversations with God, I'm not always telling 100% of the truth. I'm never telling 100% of the truth. I'm even when I'm talking to him about my sin, I'm still like carving it out a little bit because I still have a hard time believing the gospel. And so that's okay. I mean, it's not ideal, but like that's what it is to be human and be in this body of flesh and to be in a relationship with God. But when God comes to Cain in all of this mercy and all of this grace and all this fatherly love, Cain does not talk to him at all. He will not engage with him. And you know what it says? Even to like hammer this home and emphasize this even more so, like his silence toward God, the very next line, instead of speaking back to God, what does it say? Cain spoke to Abel. Hey, I'm not talking to you because I'm running down this road. I've already decided I hate this guy and I'm going to murder him. And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, don't do that. And he's like, no. So his next words are to Abel, and it's this murderous deceit to lead him out into the field to murder him. And then God asks, where is Abel your brother? And and Cain sounds just like his father, the serpent. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Like, what a double birds to the Lord. Like, you have just murdered someone in cold blood. I mean, think about how dark this is. You have just murdered your very own brother. And when the God of the universe comes to your doorstep and says, where is your brother? There is no remorse. There is no love. There is no fear for God. There is only this wicked rebellion, this lie, this sarcasm. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You're God. You figure it out. And that's this picture we see of of those who will not repent, those who will not take the Lord's invitation and repent, continue to move down this road of hardness toward God and other people. Cain is consistently refusing God's mercy and love, and he is finally given over to his desires. And God says, yeah, okay, you're cursed. Like, you, you will not have anything to do with me, and that is cursed. Jude 5 says this, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, so is recognizing Jesus uh, even in the days of Moses, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And basically what that verse is saying is the offer of the gospel is going out to all of humanity, but there is a day coming where those who refuse to accept the offer of God's love and grace in the gospel will be destroyed. They are refusing to believe the gospel. They're refusing to take hold of the God who is slow to anger and merciful and good. And that's what we're seeing now in this picture of Cain. And it's meant to lead us to repentance, to say, I don't want to end up in the same place that he does. It says that he is forever a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. This is a foretaste of hell. It says that Cain settles 
in the land of Nod. And that word Nod means wandering. So he is settling into wandering. He, for, for the rest of not only his life on earth, but for all eternity, is settling into no peace, no home, no rest, no reconciliation with God, no forgiveness for sins, and God's wrath. And so what about us? You know, we have all looked on relationship with God like it's a burden. I mean, if we're honest, we have to say that. And we have all shed innocent blood so that we can feel better about ourselves and follow our own sin down to destruction. If we're honest, we have to say that. Jesus is like, oh, yeah. Also, yeah, I said don't kill in the Ten Commandments, but if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. So we, all of us, are murderers. And all of the blood that we've spilled cries out to God as damning evidence against us, just like Abel's blood cried out to God uh, for what Cain had done to him. But, but thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. The innocent Lord Jesus, whose blood was shed for us, it cries out in an even louder voice. Hebrews 12, 24, and 25 says this, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you don't refuse him who is speaking to you now. And y'all, here's what, here's what he is saying now. Is God is saying, you are a sinner and I am a savior. You are in desperate need of my saving. You are in desperate need of the covering of the blood of Jesus. And I am glad to cover you in the blood of my precious innocent son so that you can have life with me forever. But you have to take hold of that. It says that the Lord works in us to work faith within us. But there's a, there's a peace, there's a, a humility and an acknowledgement and a belief, a faith, where we have to take hold of that and say, yes, Lord, please. I believe that this is true. I believe that I am a sinner. I believe that you are my only hope. And I believe that what Jesus has done on the cross is sufficient. I believe that... Um, Everything that you say about life in Jesus is true. Cain murdered Abel to be satisfied. Jesus gave himself so that his enemies could have life. Abel acted in faith and gave the first fruits of his labor, and Jesus acted in faith and gave his whole being so that we could have life. So now we never have to fear God in Christ. We never have to fear this invitation to repentance because it's always to lead us to life from a loving Father. Now the Holy Spirit lives in us and our hearts are responsive. There, it says we have a heart of flesh now, so now we can hear, we can feel, we can experience God's calling us to repent. And what the enemy is always working in us, and I see it happening in my life, I see it happening in y'all's lives is he is always working shame and fear. We need to run away from God. But God is the lifter of our head. We need to run to God. We need to run to God by running to each other. If you find yourself hiding, if you find yourself pulling away from people who are, you are in relationship with in this body, um, let that be a red alert. I'm believing something that is not true about the Lord. I'm believing something that is not true about this brother or sister. I'm believing something that is not true about myself. 
And now in Christ, we don't run from God in shame. We run to him as his beloved sons and daughters and let him lift our heads and remind us of who we are in him, that we have life and we have nothing to fear in him. Father, we are so frail. Lord, we live in these bodies of flesh and, and for whatever reason, Lord, and your good will, your good purposes, you allow us to live in these bodies until you return, Jesus. And so in these bodies, would you make us wise? Would you make us responsive? Would you make us soft toward your speaking? Lord, would you give us the humility that we need to entrust ourselves to you and entrust ourselves to you by entrusting ourselves to your body, this community? Lord, would you, would you clear the deck and allow us to hear your Holy Spirit speak to us and lead us away from death and to life. And Lord, when we sin, Lord, would you speak louder than the enemy and remind us that we have nothing to fear, that we can always run to you, our father, our daddy, because you love us and you care for us and you are with us and you will never leave us. Lord, you say uh, in, in John 6 that um, all who run to you, you will never cast out. And so Father, I pray for those who are in this room who do not know you, um, who, who are not entrusting their lives to you through Jesus. And I pray that they would have, you would give them the faith to cry out and entrust themselves to you and, and have life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.